Hey, everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and, of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. Um, Things are still, we're still in quarantine over here, you guys. It's still, we're like in, I don't even know, phase one of reopening maybe phase two. Do we even know the difference? I legitimately do not. And everything still feels the same. So I hope that you and yours are safe, are healthy, are okay. Um, But yeah, that's that's really where we're at. I wish I had more updates or things that I was working on or doing. I'm writing my book still. Um, I'm moving into next week, I'll be writing chapter three. Um, I don't know how long. Chapter two took me about a week Um, so we'll see if chapter three is the same amount. You never know. You never know. Um, but if you don't know, the book is all about trauma. Um, it'll be kind of like talking about trauma in a connected world, how social media can cause us to be more, not predisposed to trauma, but, uh, have potential to be exposed to trauma. Um, and I'll, you know, define what trauma is and then talk about how to heal from it, like building resiliency, treatment options, things like that. So, um, yeah, we're in it, we're doing it. And that is the one silver lining to all this quarantine stuff is that, um, I don't have to like turn down (laughs) events or things because I'm writing, um, the things just aren't happening. So it's like not, I don't have that many excuses to put it off, (laughs) but anyways, enough about me, enough about what's going on. Um, Let's get into your questions. And if you're wondering where to ask your questions, because I get asked that every time. um, For now, uh, I am going to put them in the community tab of this channel. If you are listening to this as a podcast, the channel that I'm talking about is Sean and I's podcast channel called Opinions That Don't Matter. And I'll ask for the the questions for the podcast within that community tab. And so usually on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I'll ask you for those questions. Um, Yeah, and you put them in there and I pick the ones with the most thumbs ups and then I answer those. So thank you to everybody who sent in your questions. If it didn't get answered this time, don't worry. You can always ask it again. Um, I'll do my best to get through questions um, and just, you know, try to give things thumbs ups if it's similar to your question because then more likely that I will see it and be able to answer it. Okay, without further ado, let's get into question number one. And that question is, hi, Katie, is there ever a time when you think by yourself in a session? Well, you didn't need to share this, but okay. So do I ever think that in a session? It says every Sunday, I send my therapist an email with an update from my week. She asks for it. So I didn't come up with the idea, but sometimes I'm struggling with it. I want to include small things because I think maybe it belongs to something bigger. But I'm afraid my therapist finds it weird and thinks I'm crazy. I really like this question. I honestly have never thought that. I mean, there are things on the reverse where I will think, oh my God, how have you not told me this already? Because it's it's part of our like defense mechanism to pretend things are okay or to hide any of our issues or struggles or worries or whatever. So sometimes I'll be seeing patients for like months and then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, like I didn't tell you, but you know, I was like abused for like six years when I was growing up. I'm like, oh my God, how have you not told me, you know, so I'll have that reverse response where I'm like, oh my God, well, how have you not told me that? But I don't say that out loud. I'll just say, that must've been hard for you to talk about. You know, you bring it up in like a very nice therapeutic manner. Um, so to answer this person's question, they won't think it's weird or crazy because kind of like what I've always talked about is therapy doesn't actually work unless we work it. Meaning we as therapists can't read your minds. We don't have the ability to like tap into your brain and watch all your old memories. You have to tell us stuff. You have to communicate what's going on, what you're struggling with, um, what what past experiences you've had that you feel shaped who you are, <clears throat> all that stuff. 
You have to tell us. And so the more information we have, the better we can be at helping you move things along and guiding you on the right path and challenging you in certain ways. And so I would never worry that they're going to think those things are weird or crazy. If it is something that is just like you can't stop ruminating about it, I think it's fine to bring it up in therapy and say like, hey, sometimes I let you know about these smaller things because I feel like it might be part of something bigger. I'm not sure, but I just don't want you to think I'm crazy and like oversharing or telling you too much, which by the way, you cannot do in therapy. You cannot overshare or share too much. It's all helpful in the therapeutic process. I've even talked about that in relation to transference, which can be really uncomfortable for people to address and talk about with their therapist. Um, If you don't know what transference is, it's when we, as the patient, take a relationship that maybe we've struggled with in our life and we transfer it onto our therapist and treat them as if they're that person. Um, That would be like, let's say we had a bad relationship with our mom, then we would treat our therapist the same way we would treat our mom. You might even expect them to respond or reply back in the same way. Anyway, so it's something that can happen in therapy. And if a therapist responds back in that way, then it's counter-transference. Like if it's my own shit and I'm responding back to you like defensively and um, getting upset, bringing my own shit into therapy, then that's counter-transference. But anyways, I think that to answer this person's question, I think it is helpful. I think the more that you offer up, the better. I think the more we share in therapy overall, the better it will be and the more quickly therapy can move along. Um, Otherwise, we're just kind of guessing. I can't tell you how many times I've like put together whole treatment plans. And then when I share them with the patient, they're like, oh yeah, but I didn't tell you, like I do like purge, you know, like a few times a day. And I'm like, oh my God, like I didn't know that. That's, (laughs) that would be really helpful. And so anyways, long story short, include the small things because they could be part of something bigger. And it's all just like information. I like to think of it as like a puzzle is like, if we have that whole edge, if any of you are puzzlers out there, you know what I'm talking about. All the edge pieces usually do those first and then you fill in from there. Giving your therapist all the information is like giving all those edge pieces and then together you can fill in the rest. And so, yeah, tell her. Um, and if it's really bugging you and you're worried, it's okay to bring it up. Um, but you really cannot overshare. You cannot um, tell her too much and she's not thinking you're weird or crazy. Um, I'm sure she's doing the same thing. She's like popping those pieces in the puzzle. And it's like, oh, that makes kind of, that makes sense. Interesting. Or, hmm, I don't know where that fits yet, but hmm, you know, like when you find an edge piece, but you don't know where it goes, you like sit it off to the side with all the other edge pieces and you're like, I'll figure out where you go in a minute. I do that a lot of times with like what you could consider random information, but it's something that I know behaviorally has like a, a cause or, um, there's some kind of trigger or experience that's that's making this happen. And I'm just, I just don't know what it is yet. And I just don't have all the information. Um, so yeah, keep sharing. It's okay. We can't overshare with a therapist. That's what you're supposed to do is just share. Okay. Question number two, we're moving pretty quickly here. Maybe I should have prepared more, but you know, I prepared nine. So I think that's, I think that's good. Okay. <clears throat> says, hi, Katie. Happy Thursday. That's how I assume, because that's how I usually say it. But happy Thursday, you guys. She says, I was raised in an environment where I stopped opening up to my parents very young. I can't remember telling them anything emotional or problems related from the age of eight, even if I was struggling. I had no one else to talk to either. Now as an adult, since I never learned to open up, I struggle to do so. What would you suggest to start gradually being more comfortable talking and opening up? It's a bit related to someone else's question from last week, but directed toward what we ourselves could do to improve. Thank you so very much for all that you do. Of course, of course. I'm happy to help. This is a good question. I get a lot of questions about this. Like you said, it's kind of related to one last week. And I think if any of you are out there thinking that you're the only one that struggles to open up, here is evidence. If you've got to look for your evidence, right? We got to be detectives. Here's evidence that you're not alone and it's not just you. Okay. Um, in a way, if we're raised in a, a scenario, because, okay, this sounds like you just shut down from your parents and I'm not sure why I don't have the reason, but you would raise an environment and you stopped opening up very, very young. And we always have a reason for that when we grow up, like, um, it could be abuse. So it's not safe. We could have tried to open up and been told to shut up and sit down. That can also happen, which in its own way is emotional abuse, but I'm just saying like could be physical, sexual or emotional abuse. And then it could just be them not being 
open to us talking about it or we could be told that like it's not appropriate for us to cry or you're just making things worse or we could be in an alcoholic home where all the energy goes towards the alcoholic and so the rest of us are just supposed to like pretend nothing's wrong and do our best. There could be a lot of different reasons. So know that whatever your reasons are for not opening up, that that is where your like answer lies. And I don't want to assume that it's one thing, but I can give some examples so you kind of kind of gives you a place to start because we have to kind of heal the reason that it wasn't safe to open up. And I know that you're like, oh my God, does that mean like trauma work and like inner child work? It could if that is part of your treatment, if that is part of what's going on with you, if that is part of the reason and the root of where this came from. However, for some of us, it might have just been that like we grew up in what we would call maybe like a wasp type family where you don't really talk about your problems and you don't... Um, you know, communicate much at all. It's more passive aggressive. A lot of people act that way. That can be a very, you know, some families shout everything, scream at each other about everything. Other families talk about nothing. And, you know, it's not okay to have feelings because we don't even know how to express them because nobody's talked about them. And oh my God. So it can go either way. Just throwing that out there. However, I think that something that we can do is that we can start to notice how we talk to ourselves about our feelings. And if you're like, Katie, I don't even know what I'm feeling. What the fuck are feelings? Then you can get on Google and you can Google a feelings chart. They're wonderful. I like the circle one. There's one that's like a, it's a big circle and it's got a bunch of feelings in it. I don't know. I don't know why I like that one, but I just like it. Anyways, you can print these out. You can have them bookmarked in your phone or on your laptop so you can access them all the time. These feelings charts are super, super helpful because sometimes we have feelings that we can't identify and we don't know what, what's going on until we see the word. And all of a sudden we see the word like excited or irritated or um, angry. I don't know, whatever. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. That makes sense. That sounds about right. And so feelings charts help us identify those feelings. And the reason that I know this, you're like, Katie, this time I'm talking about opening up, like you're all over the place. No, I believe that this starts here because if we have never been okay opening up, talking about our emotions or our problems, I'm just rereading the question. Um, even if they were struggling, had no one else to talk to, we often don't even know where to start with opening up. Opening up seems overwhelming and something that we cannot do like we're incapable of it because we don't even know how to identify what it is we're going through. Oftentimes we don't know how to find the words. We have no practice. So feelings, tracking our feelings is a great way to start and getting to know ourselves and getting to understand what we're really going through. And then I think the next step would be obviously to see a therapist. I think Seeing a professional ensures that we're in a safe place to start talking about how we feel. In fact, that's like what 90% of your sessions are going to be is just your therapist letting, like giving you tools and encouraging you to tap into how you're feeling or how you felt or what's going on. They're going to ask a lot of those things. So it's like a great therapeutic environment, right? We get some support and understanding and guidance, and it helps push us towards opening up and getting more in touch with ourselves. So that's my first like if you can do that, that's awesome. And if you're looking for <clears throat> online resources, there's there are things like uh, BetterHelp, Talkspace, even Crisis Text Line if you just need some support in the meantime. Those are all helpful resources. Um, okay, so we talked about like tracking our feelings, getting to know ourselves, and potentially seeing a professional. But if this opening up is something more to do with like friends or people we're in relationships with in general... I think the thing that we have to do, and I talked about this in the Patreon live stream um, yesterday, um, was that often when we've, it hasn't been safe in the past, which I'd assume in your home to some extent, it didn't feel safe to talk about feelings for whatever reason. Like I said, there's a ton of reasons. Um, We tend to look for, for, it's like, uh, what's, there's a word that Sean always uses this phrase, but it's like when you're already looking to uh, something bias, shit. What is the word? Ooh, ooh. Confirmation bias. That's it. It's like when we already believe something, we confirmed it. We're just looking for things to prove that what we already know, like that confirmation. Does that make sense? So it's like when we're being a detective, it's like we have these glasses that are skewed that only let us see a certain type of something. 
because we already believe in our hearts that for this, in this case, it's not okay to open up, right? So we're looking for information to prove that it's not okay to open up. However, I would encourage you to, through sheer force of will and practice, to change your brain, to push it into looking for reasons to open up. For instance, if it's friends and family, has a friend shared stuff about their own life? Like, yeah, I've had a just such a shit time working from home. It's been really difficult and I've been feeling really stressed. Do they share that kind of stuff? And then I got into a fight with my mom or my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever. Do we, do we get that from them? Do they share with us? That is wonderful evidence that it's okay for us to share with them because they're trusting us with how they feel and we should in turn be able to do the same. That doesn't mean it's 100% of the time, but I'm just giving you like some ideas of what could look like evidence to support the belief that it's okay to talk about feelings because I'd assume when we were raised, it was not okay. We were told it's not okay in some way or another. Um, And so looking for that evidence can slowly build up our trust and our confidence in, in changing behavior, right? Because it sounds like we don't, you know, we don't really trust ourselves. We don't know if we um, should open up. We're worried about it. We have all these thoughts maybe swirling about it. But these are some small steps to take. I hope I hope that's kind of clear. So it's like, let me go back to just to, let's summarize. We start by, um, you know, noticing our feelings and tracking those because we might not even know how where to start with that and how to even get moving on this train. And feelings charts are great. Start tracking those feelings so you're putting some words to how, how you're doing, what's going on. Then if we can see a therapist, that's great. That's a safe space to start talking about this. Like growing up, it wasn't okay. I have trouble opening up. I'm not sure why. A therapist can help guide you through. But if that's not really available to you for many, for whatever reason, right? Financially, location-wise, um, anything like that. Then we can do some things on our own with our friends. We can look for evidence to support the thought and the belief that it is okay to share how we're doing and what we're feeling. And we're going to like maybe track that evidence. We're going to look for times that people shared with us. And we'd be like, hey, so Frank over there has told me how he's been feeling. So that's good. So then maybe I'll mark down like Frank shares, you know, his struggles with his wife or boss or whatever. Hmm. Okay. You know, and we're just going to track that. And that shows you that people are trusting you. And in turn, you could possibly using bridge statements again, um, if you guys don't know what bridge statements are, it's a way to like change the way we think from negative to positive. And it's like, we're moving in that direction. So in a way we're like, it's possible that because, you know, Sally over there shared with me all her issues with her mom that I could maybe share some of my own struggles. It's possible. I'd be open to thinking about that. And so we just work our way into it. Behavioral changes take time. And I think the the thing that will we'll all learn in life as we get into therapy. We're all, right, we're all under construction. We're all works in progress. Um, I think that as we work to to better ourselves and to change those behaviors that we don't want to do anymore, we're going to feel some internal resistance. Like when you start to open up to someone, when you, maybe the first thing you say is like, hey, yeah, um, when they ask how you're doing, instead of saying fine, because nobody, nobody is just fine all the time. It's okay to say like, yeah, today was kind of a rough day. I had a, some down bits, but I'm okay now. That might be your first step, right? This is new. This is going to be hard. And in your head, it's going to be like, no, 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 it's not okay to talk about how you feel. Shove it down, stuff it deep. We don't talk about it. That will be like your knee-jerk reaction. That 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 pattern of behavior you've been doing forever is going to be a little tricky to break. You can totally break it, but just be patient with yourself as you try again and learn and push a little more to open up. Um, because I think that the thing that we often, uh, we often think in black and white, we often think that I'm either not sharing or I'm sharing everything. And there's this in-between where we share what we're comfortable with with certain people, right? Like we don't have to tell a casual work colleague everything about our life. That might not be appropriate. We might not feel safe to trust that person with all that information, right? So know that with different relationships come different um, expectations of conversation and um, ability to trust and tell them and share. So there can be like my closest friends know pretty much everything, but then my like peripheral friends know some things. And, you know, it just tracks back like little by little what I'm okay with having out there and having people know, and you have to do the same, but it's this new muscle. So we have to start somewhere. And I think sometimes it's just starting off with a friend that we already are close with, who shares a lot about what they're going through. 
And we have to be able to say, yeah, I had a tough day too. And that's just, you know, got to open that door to feelings, but we have to know what they are first. So anyway, I hope that kind of helps give you like a little bit of a roadmap, a little bit of an understanding and knowing that it will get better. It is a process. It's not perfection, but we'll keep moving in the right direction. Okay. And I want to make sure that makes sense. And I answered all the questions and how as adult, da, 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 what would you suggest to start gradually being more comfortable talking and opening up? I, I believe that I answered it. So hopefully that's helpful. Okay. Question number three, and this one <clears throat> was interesting because I've already been thinking about it. it. says, how does it feel when the videos that blow up on your main channel are about you? Since your Katie Morton channel is for education, does it feel strange or unexpected that your viewers genuinely care about you as a person and not just your educational content? It, it did surprise me. It was very strange and very unexpected. Um, and it's been something that's, it's weird. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like process this with you because it's been in my head for a while and Sean and I've been talking about it and I, I don't fully know where I'm at with it yet, but here's what I've been thinking. So yes, it was shocking. Yes, it was unexpected and kind of strange to me. Um, but I don't mean that in the way that like, that people, I wasn't surprised that you, that you care because the one thing I know without a doubt about our community is that you're caring, compassionate, kind, and loving people. We have a beautiful, wonderful community. And that, so the fact that people care about me and care about how I feel is, it does not come as a, as a surprise. Um, you all know I'm human too. I always try to let you remind you of that, that like, I don't know everything. I don't do everything right. And even if I do know something, that doesn't mean I necessarily take my own advice. You know, I don't want you to think that I somehow got away from being human because that's just not true. Like I have my own shit. I got my own stuff. I don't, I don't communicate clearly all the time. I get in fights with people. I can act passive aggressive. I I'm, I can be just as much of a turd face as anybody else. So I just, I'm just, I try and I know better, which sometimes makes it worse. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that, but I think I, I struggled with it in general, like even the thought of doing another video, even because I was having a hard time, I, I was struggling to make other content. That's really what happened. That's like the crux of like, um, what was going on and why there were two videos out about it, about me, how I'm doing. Um, but I think the one thing, the reason that I ended up deciding that, yes, I wouldn't skip a week. I'll just, I'll just create the video I can create is, um, through something that I had heard from Brené Brown. And I don't think it was in the book I'm reading. I, like I've read a bunch of her books and um, some that I haven't even read all the way through. I like read and then I'll, I, this is me. I'll read like halfway and then I'll put it in the bookcase and start another one up. I don't know. I do that. I don't know. I don't have ADHD or ADD, but I, I do like sometimes want little snippets and I don't want to just like burn through something. I want to like digest it. So I take my time. Um, but anyway, she talked about the power of stories and how storytelling she feels is what has made her so successful. And when she was talking about, I, I was reading, I want to say it was Braving the Wilderness is the book of, I don't think it's Dare to Lead. Anyway, if my memory serves me, it's Braving the Wilderness. And she shares a personal story about how she should have like engaged in this conversation or the situation. She should have taken it better. She should have responded in a better way. And looking back, she realizes that she wasn't comfortable being vulnerable in that situation. And she wasn't uh, okay being courageous enough to stand in the arena and like not fight back, but like stand in her truth. A lot of people use that phrase, but it just means like, I'm not going to cater the my experience in my life to fit you and your level of comfortability. So anyway, she talks a lot about that and how, uh, anyway, the story that she shared was just so powerful. And I don't think it would have hit me or been as influential or even educational, like personally, psychologically educational for me, if it hadn't have had been her story. And if she hadn't had shared it, like she shared it with such honesty and like rawness, which I think is for me is the best way. Like I remember it, right? It's like tangible. I could feel it. I could feel it emotionally. I can still feel it emotionally. I can tap into that memory. And I think, um, anyways, long story short, the fact that she was able to be so vulnerable and she talks a lot about the importance of vulnerability has really stuck with me. And I think for a while I couldn't figure out like 
how that really related to YouTube. I just thought it was more like in my own life, being okay, like the way that I've tried to, to be vulnerable in the past has been like, being okay telling someone like my feelings were hurt. And that's why I lashed out and I apologize or something to that effect. Like, uh, being honest with myself and others is, is really, to me, I thought was vulnerability. And I know that that's so limited in some ways, but that was like the way that I internalized it and the way I tried to, to, uh, work it into my life. However, with that experience behind me and with that, the storytelling that, that she's so good at doing, um, I realized that that I hadn't like that that was a way I could do it on YouTube. Does that make sense? That like by sharing my story, by being vulnerable, by showing that I'm a human too, that I don't have all my shit together because I can say it, but words sometimes aren't as, I don't know, tangible, palpable, like uh, what's the word? Just not as real. Sometimes words are not as real as actual vulnerable I know storytelling is still words, but you know what I mean? Like just saying it is different than showing it. That's why show and tell as a kid was so powerful because you're like, wow, you get to see them do it. I know they said they roller skated, but here they are, right? Um, And so in a way, that's why even after I'd filmed the second video, both videos, I was very uncomfortable with having them go live. I had a lot of like worry thoughts, rumination. If you follow me on Instagram, you heard me do like ruminating (laughs) in stories about it, like like, shit, should I post this? I don't know. Is this inappropriate? I don't know. It's out there. And like, do I want people knowing that? And um, I get bullied online all the time. I just block everybody because people are fucking assholes. Um, So I was like, oh, do I want to open myself up to more bullying from dirtbags on the internet? Um, My community is so great, but like, you just don't know who's going to come around. And and so anyway, so I went back and forth and in the end decided that I would let it go live. And I think my hope was that instead of just leading by uh, educating, because that is its own role, right? Education is important. We should learn more about ourselves and the way that our brain works and why certain relationships don't feel good or why certain ones do feel good. All of that stuff. We, I feel like that's a big part of it too. But the second component is really learning by example. Like I get, can show you I can show you how it is to be vulnerable. Like putting videos out like that were really uncomfortable. But if I can do it, you can do it. And I think that's kind of what ended up making me decide that it was okay to put it out there. Um, I know that that's not exactly the question that this person asked. So sorry. But um, that that's been my thought process about it. And I'm glad that it resonated. I'm glad that it was helpful. I'm glad that me being a little bit uncomfortable for a little bit, and man, that it's exhausting to like film those kinds of videos because I just I don't even ed- like I tell Sean I'm like don't even edit it because I don't even know what I said <laughs> like I couldn't even tell you what to keep in or take out let's just leave it um and so I think that I I was really surprised that those videos have done well but I think it's a maybe it's a new chapter in the Katie Morton channel where it's not just me um educating that will always be like the heart of the channel i'll never completely deviate from that but i think there's a new way to think about educating i challenge all of you to to consider how you learn best um because through back to that brené brown example i know personally that i learn best through storytelling and through actual personal stories from the person that i'm hearing them from like brené tells a lot of different stories but the ones that stick with me are actually hers because it's in her words and her language. Um, yeah, it's just so much more uh, relatable or I don't know if it's like I'm better able to like, I don't know if that's because I feel like I know her. I don't know. It could be some weird thing like that. I'm not sure like psychologically why, but when people get to tell their story in their own words and there's no one interpreting it or no one, um, you know, writing it down in the best way they can understand it. There's something real and vulnerable and relatable about that. And so anyways, I'm really getting on a tangent and I apologize, but this is what this podcast is for, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that that will be a new, a new thing on the Katie Morton channel. Not always, but I think there are some times when sharing of myself a little bit more and and challenging myself to be a little bit more vulnerable could be more helpful to the community as a whole. And that, and I think it helps me too. You know how sometimes you feel like something that 
you do to benefit others. Like I, um, I volunteer off and on at different, uh, soup kitchens and, um, like a lot of, there's, we have a lot of homeless shelters around here. So homeless shelters and donating goods and donating time and, and making food and bringing that over and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, I always feel like at the end of those days, I, I get more out of it than the people that I like went to help. And, um, and I think that sometimes in the, in the YouTube space, all the work that I put in to do, to make the educational videos, like I get more out of it sometimes, you know, it feels, still feels that way. And I think even though being more vulnerable is, is like harder and it's, it's like more emotional lifting, not just like research and like brain work in that way. Um, I think while I think it will be a better way to educate and more helpful potentially for some of you out there, I think it's also really helpful for me and it challenges me to be a better person um, and to be more uh, candid about where I'm at and what I'm going through. Um, Yeah, so we can kind of learn together, like along with me instead of like me always teaching. Does that make sense? Anyway, I'm rambling. I love you all. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback. I cannot tell you how, how nice that was, you know? It was just really, really nice. You guys are the best. So anyway, those are all my thoughts. Clearly, it's still jumbled and it doesn't maybe make sense. But um, but yeah, I think that might be something that I do more of. And you guys can let me know in the comments um, here or on the main channel, wherever, um, or on Twitter. You know, I'm everywhere. Um, you can let me know what you think about that. Do you think that that is a good idea or a bad idea? Um, do you think that that was helpful or do you think that it's like it had its time and place and it's done? And again, like I don't have any ego about it. This isn't just about me. I think that's the thing that I've always loved about my channel and something that I always want to keep is that it's not just about me. Um, not that there's anything wrong with channels that are. That's just not my goal. I'm, you know, I, it's, I don't, I've never wanted to be uh, a celebrity or a famous person or anything like that. I never wanted that. So the channel's never been about that, about me wanting attention. Um, so I'm fine if you're like, Hey, Katie, you did it. It was helpful, but let's move on. Let's go back to the other stuff. You can say that too. And that's not offensive at all. Okay. Let's move on. Cause that's enough. But I hope that that answers your question and gives you just some insight into my thoughts on it. Cause I was very surprised. Okay. Question number four, I have my exams in less than a month and they will determine if I get to college or not. I feel really sad and can't focus at all. Same. I feel like my negative emotions overpower my ability to remember things and to think straight. Anything I can do to stop overthinking. Oh, yes. Okay. So this got a lot of thumbs up and a lot of other people have been asking me about things related to exams and college and, and how do I deal with that when, with all this shit going on, right? It, I, I understand why they're still having exams and I understand why they're trying to like push school forward, but we're still in a crisis and that's hard. So I um, just want you to know, I like sending compassion, caring, understanding your way. I get it. But when it comes to how do we like push through this and focus and get through these tests so that then we can like oh, feel it all, we have to pull ourselves out of fight, flight, freeze. And there are a couple ways we can do that. Number one, rub on your shoulders a little, do some neck rolls, Ooh, do some stretches. If you don't remember, in one of my coronavirus videos, I talked about how uh, jaw, neck, shoulders, all the muscles up like in our shoulders up into our head are the muscles that are uh, involved in our stress response and our fight, flight, freeze. They tense up. That's why a lot of people carry stress in their shoulders. It's not, oh, I carry it in my shoulders. It's like those muscles are tightened when we're under stress. So if we're under stress for a long time, of course, there are going to be knots in there because they've been like tightened forever. Okay. So relax those muscles, make some time to like chill it out, breathe, rub on yourself, put some, I don't know if there's um, any kind of like muscle relax, like I'm, I'm going to go totally old lady on you, but even like a little Ben Gay or a salon paw, the salon paws are like those little sticky things with like, um, I don't know if it's a menthol eucalyptus, it's something, but anyway, that stuff can help relax your muscles. Maybe you take a bath. I don't know. Do whatever you can. And then the next is like connectivity. I would encourage you to chat with other people who are going through a similar thing. Friends, uh, other people you go to school with, you know, 
other, like even if there's acquaintances, if there's like a chat feature within your school's online system, or if there's a way to email um, or set up Zoom study meetings, I think all of those things will be a lot more helpful and a lot more beneficial now more than ever. So get a study buddy. I actually learn best when I teach it to other people. So, um, which is kind of funny now thinking about the channel, but um, you should break up what you're going to teach each other in these study sessions and teach it until the other person gets it. And then the other person teaches it back. I used to do that with one of my friends in grad school. And I swear it's the reason I got straight A's because that's just how I learn. I learn through conversations and teaching with others. So that's a way to do it. Um, and then thought stopping, good old thought stopping, because she said her negative emotions overpower her ability to remember. So if we find ourselves spiraling out into negative, into like no man's land, I want you to, and I've talked about this a lot recently, but it's because I'm doing it like every day, you guys. So don't think that it's just me repeating this thing saying it should work. I'm telling you, it works for me. Okay. So like when I start thinking, cause mine isn't school related, obviously. But mine will be more like, oh my God, and like, am I going to get to see my my mom at Christmas time? Or like, what about Sean's sister? Like, when can we get back to Montreal? And his dad, oh, oh, worry, 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 worry. I go, stop, 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 Katie, stop. Katie, this isn't getting you anywhere. You got to stop, 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 stop. And about that time, that seems about right. Those, I, my brain's like, what? It's like almost like somebody in front of you going, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. And then you're like, oh, yeah, what? and you're out of it. So I'm out of that thought spiral. And then I pull it into somewhere more happy. So maybe because it's exams and you're stressed, maybe we pull it into this, like, when I get to college, things are going to be great. It's going to be so fun to meet new people, be in a new place. I'm so excited to take these classes, learn about this. Like for me, I was like, psychology is so cool. And I'm so excited to actually get to dive into it. Because in high school, we only had like one class. So I'm so interested. This will be so cool. And I get to go to California where it's warm. I mean, whatever you can do. If that doesn't work for you, you can just focus on like one of your happiest memories or a positive memory in as much detail as you can. I've talked about this a lot and I'm sure you're like, okay, I know what you're going with this. But I have other videos too. If you want to just get on YouTube, Katie Morton Thought Stopping, pull your mind out of it and bring it into somewhere more positive. That can help. And then if you feel like your negative emotions are overpowering your ability we're going to have to, like along with thought stopping, I would encourage you to start using some of those bridge statements and some of those more positive thoughts. Like we got to pull it out of the like, this is never going to work. I'm never going to remember anything. I'm so stupid. I'm so lazy. Blah, 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 blah. Lies, 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 lies that we tell ourselves. But we have to catch it. We have to pay attention. We have to listen. And when we hear those things being said, then we have to say, you know what? Actually, I have been working. I've been really trying to study. But because of all this shit talking I'm doing, I can't remember anything. So it's, I am definitely working. So maybe I'm not as lazy as I thought. It's possible, right? We gotta live in the possibilities and the maybes as we bridge our way from this negative shit talking space into this more positive, happy, I can remember things and just fucking nail that exam because you got it. Um, so yeah, I hope that that helps. Um, study buddies are great. Flashcards also used to save my bacon. I don't know if those help you. Um, those are some of my study tips. And then just as a side note, if anybody's out there studying and they're like cramming, first of all, cramming doesn't work. It's been proven. I know for some people they hang in there and they do okay, but make sure you're getting at least seven and a half hours of sleep every night. Do your best. I know we can't like power down and just fall asleep immediately, but try to make time for at least seven and a half hours of sleep because that's how your brain logs that away into memory. And also take breaks. Only force yourself to try to focus and study for maybe 30 to 45 minutes. If you find your brain like you keep going off, like if I am checking my email over and over again when, it, when I'm supposed to be writing my book or whatever, I'm like, I think I've reached my quota. I'm going to take a break. And I take a little mental break where I either go for a walk. I'll check my um, Instagram, just let like stories go or something, put on music, anything, nothing that I have to think about. It's just a brain break. I don't have to focus. So take those focus breaks so that you can come back and focus again. Okay. Those are all of my tips for, for, you know, all that studying. On to question number five. And this is a good question. I get a lot of questions about this as well. Um, it says, hi, Katie, how do I learn to trust people again? Growing up, everyone I trusted stabbed me in the back. And eventually I stopped trusting everyone. 
This caused me to bury all of my emotions. On the outside, I look like I'm happy, but on the inside, I'm not. Nobody knows I'm hurting on the inside because I'm too scared to tell them. I'm afraid they're just going to stab me in the back just like everyone else did while I was growing up. I'm not in therapy. How do I learn to trust people again so I can tell someone how I really feel? Um, first of all, this is, I just, again, I talked about this. I had over, I had 40 questions, you guys, for the Patreon live stream yesterday. So like a lot of these questions, I was like, oh my God, like we're, we're in it together. Nobody is dealing with something alone. Okay. So I had a question like this about, um, trust. And when it came to mental health professionals, um, but I believe this relates to this question too. And the truth is that Sure, we can have bad experiences. Not everyone is a good friend. Not everyone is a good person. Not everyone is a good therapist. They're, excuse me, I had to burp. <laughs> not everyone is good at their job. Not everyone is a good anything, right? So we, it's never going to be 100%. But I would encourage you to get out of this black and white thinking because what's happened here is we had some bad experiences and then we were like, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Oh, fuck it. Everybody's bad. We went into all black and white all or nothing. Instead, what I would encourage you to do, because the thing is, once we've been harmed by someone, like been cheated on, been stabbed in the back, um, been lied to, um, been betrayed in one way or another, we tend to act like because our brain is wired, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place as per usual. Our brain is wired to seek out threat, right? I've talked about this when it comes to fight, flight, freeze and the coronavirus and why our brain is like, focuses on negative stuff like why is why do we remember that one negative comment and forget like the 75 million good ones because our brain is wired to seek out threat that negative comment is a threat to our own self psychologically or physically emotionally whatever depends on what the thing was so when it comes to this we've had these bad experiences and rightfully so that you shouldn't trust those people fuck those people they're bad people we don't want them in our lives and they don't deserve to be in our lives i 100 support that however now, because we have that experience, our brain even more is like in hyperdrive, looking for reasons to not trust people. And I would encourage you instead to start looking for reasons to trust people. That doesn't mean we're going to jump all in. Again, this is not black and white. And so we look for some things that they maybe do that are good. Like, hey, they were really nice to that person when they were having a rough day. They really listened. Hmm, I like that. Or hey, um, you know, my, my friend Sarah told me that she had told them this secret a long time ago and they never told anybody and that made her feel good. I don't know. I'm just making up some random examples. Um, that would be another thing. So th that's one way that we can start learning to trust again. But the thing that I talked about in the Patreon live stream um, yesterday, and hopefully this will resonate with you, um, is that we can never put all, like, we don't want to put all of our power and give up all of our energy and whatever to other people, right? If I am waiting for someone to prove to me, like when they do X, Y, Z, then I'll be able to trust people again. That's not a powerful place to be in that. We have no power in that, that scenario. We put ourselves in a position of powerlessness and hopelessness or helplessness, which all aren't good and makes us feel even shittier. Okay. So instead of looking out, like how do I pick the right person to trust. These All these people have been dickheads. So hmm, how do I figure it out? No, that's the we're focusing on the wrong thing. The thing that we should focus on is ourselves and trusting in your own judgment. You recognize what those people did that were bad. You have to clue in to people's behaviors, people's patterns, the things that they do. We can learn to slowly trust by trusting ourselves. Trust that spidey sense. Trust the thought that, hey, maybe I don't know this person that well. I would like to get to know them and I can let them in a little bit as I learn. Because I trust myself not to give it all up right away and to feel too vulnerable too fast. It's all in that trusting of yourself. So instead of looking outwards and trying to figure out how we're going to find ways to trust people, look inwards and learn how to trust yourself. What are the things that are important to you? What are the things that are upsetting? What are the things in people that, uh, that you don't like that trigger this distrust and this like get rid of them, ditch them? Maybe we avoid those things. Let's just take stock. What are things we're looking for in friends, in romantic partners? What are the behaviors and the personality traits that are important? Let's think about that. 
And then we have to trust in ourselves to notice, to recognize, and to respond accordingly. But again, this is not black and white. We're not in or out. We're getting to know people and getting to know ourselves. And so I just want to kind of put that in perspective. And I hope that that really helps because that's something that I try to do is I like, um, instead of going against my gut, like intuition, I had that video that went out on my channel a few weeks ago called You Knew Better, where I talk about intuition and how when we don't follow our intuition, it's like it creates this like internal struggle, this like discomfort, this stress, this it can come out as stress, depression, eating disorder, behavior, self-injury. It's like whenever we go against what we already know, it makes us really uncomfortable and it can cause a lot of mental health issues. So trust yourself. We take away that upset, right? If we know better, then why am I still talking to that jerk friend? If I know they're a dickwad or they've done some things that I don't agree with, why am I purposely re-engaging in that relationship? I don't care if we're related. That doesn't give them carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want. I'm still a human. They're still a human. I expect to be treated in a certain way. And that's just that. I know that that's hard. I know that it's difficult, but I just want you to try to hear it because I think it's really, really important to recognize that sometimes we give people too much power. We don't trust our gut and we allow ourselves to be harmed instead. And I'm telling you, we know better. Start trusting in yourself and listening to yourself. And when when you have evidence to support that someone's trustworthy, it's okay to lean into that a little bit. Again, it's not all or nothing. We're not all of a sudden all the way in. So I know that I'm kind of all over the place with that. It's just, that seems to be a theme. That's what this podcast should be called, All Over the Place with Katie. However, I think that this, like, hopefully that gives you an idea because we often look for things on the outside to to show us that, it's a, that we should trust someone or that it's okay to engage when really we need to look inside. We need to take stock of what's important and we need to look for that. And if we find those good things, then we can lean into that a little bit. We can get to know people. We can let people in slowly but surely as we're comfortable and as the relationship warrants, right? Um, yeah, I think that's really all I have to say about that. And I know that's a lot, but think about it and let me know. Hopefully that helps. Um, but not everybody, it's not all black and white. Not everybody stabbed you in the back and not everybody is a jerk, Okay. Okay, a little more water and we'll hop into question number six. Question number six is, hey, Katie, I'd love some info on maladaptive daydreaming. I can lose hours a day lost in my own mind. I'm part of a Reddit community with over 35,000 members, so it's obviously a fairly large issue, but with barely any info on it. What causes it? Have you ever had any clients experience this and how do you how did you approach the issue as a therapist? So, I have an old video where I talk about maladaptive daydreaming. And it, I even got a lot of shit because I talked about um, dissociative identity disorder. And then I went into maladaptive daydreaming and never went back to dissociative identity disorder. So I apologize for that. I'm not perfect. Um, but people were like, what? This is not the right video. But what it was just because that was not what I don't think that was the question I was answering. And I just I didn't phrase the intro right. So my apologies. Um, maladaptive daydreaming, if for those of you who don't know, is when we like, like she's saying, like I, um, or he actually don't know if this is a he or she, I'm sorry for whoever this is. Um, like losing hours a day lost in your own mind. It's, um, daydreaming to the point of not having any memory of things that we've done. This could be as small as I had a super stressful day at work and I don't really remember leaving work or how I got home, but I'm home. Right. We kind of go into autopilot, our brain pulls back. It's on the spectrum. I like to call dissociation like a spectrum. I know not everybody agrees with that, but that's how I see it. And maladaptive daydream is like kind of on the early stages of dissociation. And dissociation is really when our brain, when something happens to us that's so, it's just too much. I just like to think of it as overwhelm. I don't know how to process this. I don't know how to talk about it. And our brain pulls a ripcord. It's like, ah, I'm out of here. It's too much. I need a break. And we can feel like we're out of body. We can feel like we're out of environment, like watching ourselves like we're in a movie. Um, so yeah, it can be depersonalization, meaning out of body, like watching yourself like you're a ghost of yourself. 
and derealization, meaning, you know, you're like out of environment, like you're kind of like off to the side, like watching. It can be even more removed feeling for many people. So just want all of us to be on the same page. So maladaptive daydreaming is like a, a version of dissociation. And I'd, I'm happy to talk more about it. I guess I, I don't know what else to say. Um, and I struggle with that a lot. Like that's why your questions are so helpful. Cause then I'm like, oh, okay. So people do, you know, this is what you want to know more about. This is what the, these are what the questions are. Um, so if you have a bunch of good questions or conversation starters from that Reddit community, feel free to share those in the comments below. That could help guide a future video um, on my main channel uh, so that I can hopefully be of some assistance. Um, okay, so that's kind of what that is. And then um, it is a very, very large issue. Um, what causes it? Stress, overwhelm, trauma. There's a ton of things. I like to think of it as like um, in the DSM. And I think it's just how my brain is works. That's what I was trained in. Unfortunately, is like, how do you fit things into these buckets of diagnoses? But when it comes to the DSM, they talk about um, like PTSD and how if something, if there isn't a trauma, so let's say there's no trauma in your life and you're like, I don't understand why I struggle with maladaptive daydreaming. I never was traumatized. Um, under trauma, under PTSD diagnosis, we have to uh, rule out other diagnoses first to make sure that it is actually PTSD. And one of those diagnoses is adjustment disorders, um, as, well, uh, well, as well as acute stress disorder. There's other ones in there, but those are just the two I'm going to reference right now. So when it comes to adjustment disorders, when we go through anything that is really triggering, like the difference between adjustment disorder and PTSD is that adjustment disorder just requires some kind of stimulus that's upsetting. It doesn't have to be severe. Like PTSD, we have to like worry for the safety of ourselves or someone else. It's like traumatizing. It's terrorizing. It's ups It's scary. Not the case when it comes to adjustment disorder. Adjustment disorder should just be something that's overwhelming, that we're upset about, that's stressful. And so any of those things, things that um, could cause adjustment disorder, PTSD, acute stress disorder is just um, PTSD if it like resolves itself within, I want to say it's like three days or in one month is like when acute stress disorder happens. So if it goes longer than one month, it's PTSD. Um, so any of those things that we could not, I'm not saying you have to have that diagnosis to have maladaptive daydreaming, by the way, but I'm just saying that any stressor in our life that we are not able to manage and we don't really feel like we have the coping skills or the words or any of the tools to deal with it can cause us to maladaptive daydream. And if you're wondering what the term maladaptive is, it's like when something is not helpful Adaptive means we're going to adapt, right, to fit into a certain situation to like make it work. Maladaptive is like it's not, it's not moving us, it's not helpful, it's not healthy, it's not, it's not good for us. It's like it's akin to saying that we daydream because we don't really know what else to do. You know, it's just kind of like a unhealthy coping skill, and we all have them, right? This is no judgment. This isn't like oh, maladaptive daydream is bad. You should stop. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't know why it happens. It can come out of the blue, it can feel like, and it can stay for hours. Some of my patients report it lasting for days and days and days. So I really, there are a ton of causes. There are a ton of triggers, but I really think it's anything of overwhelm capacity, like it overwhelms our capacity to process. And so um, I have had clients experience this. It's been super dangerous. I had a client that for a while I I told her I didn't really think it was safe for her to drive because she wouldn't remember getting places. Um, and so she took Uber for a while and I made her show me her trips because it scared me. Um, and so, yeah, it's something that's very common. And the way that I approach the issue is just trying to figure out what the triggers are. How can we uh, heal it, prevent it, stop it from continuing to happen if we don't know what's causing it? And so I'm just very curious. So if we had a maladaptive daydreaming uh, situation or a little blip in our day, right? Okay, yesterday, I forgot I lost an hour due to maladaptive daydreaming. Shit. Then I'm curious. So as a therapist, I'd be like, okay, so what happened yesterday then? If that happened around like 2 p.m., uh, tell me what happened when you got up. Like what was the, what did your day start out like? And if there's nothing in that day, we're going to go back the day before. And we're just going to try to figure out, we're going to be detectives, right? We're going to be detectives for the the trigger. got to find out what's causing this. And it could be just like uh, we've talked about with PTSD, it might not just be one event. It might not be a big T, right? A big trauma. Like 
Maybe the, the stressor isn't just one thing. It's not like, oh my God, I just got fired. Boom, maladaptive daydreaming episode. That might not be it. It might be a bunch of little teas or little upsets. It could be that like um, we almost got into an accident uh, pulling out of our driveway. And then we uh, got yelled at by our boss because we didn't realize the project was due today. We thought it was due tomorrow. And then um, we went over to our parents' house to have dinner and they got in this huge fight. You know, it could be just a bunch of things throughout a day or two or a week that build up. And then at a certain point, our brain is like, fuck this, I'm out. I can't deal. Okay. And so figuring that out, that's how I would deal with it with one of my like patients is just trying to be curious and figure out why. Why is it happening? It serves a purpose. So what is that purpose? What is it trying to numb us out from, cover up? What is it trying to deal with? Um, and then once we know that, then and only then really, can we process it through? Can we heal that so that the there's no longer a need for the maladaptive daydreaming? Does that make sense? It's almost like when it comes to self-injury or eating disorders, any coping skill, addiction, we try to find out the why. Why does it exist? What what traumatic or upsetting or hard thing happened that caused us to use this as a tool to cope? Why? And then once we know, then we can work through that. And then honestly, it's like you having, um, I don't know, let's say uh, appendicitis. Your appendix is, is going to burst and it hurts and it's causing all this pain and discomfort and you can't focus and it's like ruining things for you. But once you once they get that out and make sure that there's no infection in your body and you're okay, then you're okay. And so it's like, we got to find out what that causes for all the pain and the upset and the discomfort. And then, then we can heal it and then we're okay. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Um, but yeah, feel free to leave in the comments, like what you'd want me to talk about. I'm happy to talk about it more. Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. Okay. Final question. Cool. Maybe final question. Depends on how quickly I get through it. Okay, question number seven. Hey, Katie, I have. Um, what do you think of people changing their names? Oh, this was a cool question. I forgot about it. What do you think of people changing their names as a response to trauma? I've heard of some people doing this when their name is a constant reminder of the negativity of the past. In all honesty, I've never had a patient do this, and I've never heard of it, but I think it's really cool. I could see changing your name... Um, I actually, I guess that's kind of a lie. I did have a patient. It wasn't while I was, it was like prior to her seeing me, but I did have a patient um, change her last name back to, uh, not back, but like instead of having her father's name, because her father was horribly abusive to her growing up and she had like emancipated herself. Um, she changed her last name to her mom's last name. And I think that's cool. I, I like that. And it, for her, it was like, he's not even, I, he's not even part of, my family is not part of me. I don't know him. We are not related. And that was her like disconnect. And I think that's, if that helps, if that is powerful to you, I think there's a lot of power in a name for some people. And if you're one of those people that it bothers you, that, um, that you, you know, you're connected to that person in that way, I think it's fair. And something that I was thinking of, because this is, uh, I think I wrote about this in my first book. Um, but I, uh, there's a quote and it's like, looking back on old versions of you, I like to think we like shed the skin of past versions of ourselves so much so that if I was like walking down the street and ran into like my ex-boyfriend from high school, it, I would, he wouldn't even recognize me. Like I'm so different. I know that that's like not true, but that's the way I like to think about it. Like I've shed the skin of myself so much. Like I'm not even that person anymore. And I could see that. And, and that's how I like, I used to talk about that in therapy, like how I'd like to, um, you know, let go of that person, that past person, because we're always evolving, right? And technically speaking, scientifically speaking, every seven years, our cells, our body is completely new. They regenerate, they re, it's like, recycle themselves, redo, redo, what is it? Reuse, reduce, recycle. Anyway, you know what I mean? Um, our cells are, we're like turned over the, the cellular turnover is like every seven years. So, I can understand in the same way that I like to think I've shed ex I've shed skins of myself and I'm like no longer the same person. I can understand like like wanting to change your name so that you like 
most literally are not even the, the same name. If they called it your, your name out on the street, you wouldn't answer because it's not your name anymore. And I, I think anything that empowers us, that helps us feel like it, it represents the change that we've, we've worked on and experienced, I'm, I'm all for it. Changing your name is a total pain in the ass, legally speaking, but I think if it helps you feel better and it's something that you want to do. I even had a friend, actually, like a friend of a friend, um, use her middle name instead of her first name because she didn't, it was like related to her like abuse as a kid, I guess. And I learned about that later because I was like, how come she doesn't go by that name anymore? Because I knew her previous to this name change. Um, but I guess in therapy, she decided to change her name. So, um, or start going by her middle name, not really legally change her name. I, I support all that. I think that's really cool. I think that if it helps you and it's a good, like, a way to not be reminded of a hurtful past, by all means, you shed that skin. You become a new and you, you know, move forward, right? Okay, we have time for one more question. I was pretty quick on that. Question number eight. Hi, Katie, how do you deal with being uncomfortable being vulnerable in session and talking about your past? I feel like if there's this wall up between my past and everything else, I can talk about the other things just fine. I thought this was interesting because we all have that wall up. It's like there's a limit. And in therapy, even in general, um, we're all comfortable with sharing a certain amount. And then there's all of a sudden this like deep, this like, and all of a sudden we've hit that limit and we can't go any farther, right? Like we've moved up. That's all we're going to share. And the rest is just like this dark basement of secrets that nobody knows because of our like shame, vulnerability issues, um, embarrassment, us thinking that nobody else has ever dealt with this, thought like this, done things like this, and all the false beliefs we have around it like that. It means I'm a terrible person. It means that um, no one's ever going to love me. It means that um, I'm, uh, I'm like a pariah and I shouldn't even be human. Whatever we believe about it, those are all, it's all lies, by the way, but it all lives in this like dark pit of despair and um, sadness and yeah, it's hidden, secret, secret. But I think, first of all, therapy is the best place to start trying to do this. So thank you to the person that asked this question that they said that like, you know, in session, how do you get more comfortable? Really the way like dealing with that uncomfortability and vulnerability is just toleration. And I know that that's a shitty answer. And you're like, but but I, I don't like it. And nobody likes it. But the way that we tolerate it is through resources, meaning maybe in order for me to tolerate it, I have a fidget toy in my hand. I know fidget toys are over, but they're not over in my practice. Maybe we have like a silly putty or Play-Doh. I have a lot of those things in my office and patients use them all the time. There's even one that's called thinking putty that I feel is particularly used. It's like for therapy. It's in like a little silver twisty tin. Very cute. Anyways, if that helps you soothe your system so you can like tolerate the discomfort use it. Maybe we wear super comfy clothes while we're there. Maybe we have a certain thing that we do or say um, that our therapist will know that that's all we can do for that day, right? We're going to push ourselves to somewhat of the limit of it. Um, but we should talk about it. We should have some resources. We should have, maybe there's a good subject that she can change the topic to. Like I've had many patients who, especially with trauma work, We'll get to a limit and then I'll have a conver like I'll have a way to change the conversation. Like I'll have something like, okay, tell me about your dog again. So how old is she now? How long have you had her? Have she learned any new tricks? Like I just changed subject to something that's super benign. It's filled with only happy thoughts and memories. So something like that. Um, and those are all what I would call resources. So that in the moment we're able to tolerate the uncomfortability until we can't, and then your therapist can like rescue you. I feel like it's like throwing you're like throwing a rope into the water. You're like, I got you. Don't worry. We're gonna pull you in. Um, but we have to tread water for a bit. I challenge you to like to tolerate that and have some skills that you can use internally. It might be some breathing exercises, it might be like I said, like a fidget toy, something in your hand. It might be um let me think. I'm trying to think of what else helped my patients. Some of my patients would like stretch or stand up for a second or have a drink of cold water that can bring us back if we're struggling with dissociation. It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't want you to think that there's any magical pill or thing that I can have you have you do that takes away this discomfort. But something that can help is just talking about the discomfort in therapy that can get, bring some validity and just some light to it, which sometimes can make it actually not so bad. Um, 
but it does get better the more we do it. Just like anything, it's like as we shed light in the dark, we realize there's actually nothing that scary or terrible hiding in here that it was act- it was just our thoughts about what we thought was in there, which I know sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, and so as we prove to ourselves that it's not that scary, it's not that bad, it's not that uncomfortable, it starts to feel better and easier. Um, but we just have to have some some ways to work with our therapist so that they know when our limit has been hit and we can say something, do something. Maybe it's just crossing your legs in a weird way or something if you aren't able to speak. Um, maybe it's you drop something on the floor. I don't know. Talk about it. Figure it out. But that can tell them like, okay, let's talk about something else. Let's change the subject. Bring it back to something like happy, easy, you know, something that we can talk about. Um, and it just takes time. It's just a new muscle and like I said, I was just talking earlier about that video. I know it's not the same because it's not like in therapy. It's not the same thing. But um, I get uncomfortable too. And sometimes we, just have to, we blah, blah, blah. sometimes we just have to sit in that feeling. Because the thing is, is the more we avoid it, the bigger and scarier it seems to us. When if we actually spend the time to just sit in it, we realize that nothing terrible is going to happen. We're not going to die. We're not going to explode. The world's not going to come crashing down. We will be okay. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that is enough proof for me to be able to do it again and to know it's going to be okay. It's like I already have that. I've like set it up so I already have the evidence to support. And so, yes, it sucks. Yes, it's uncomfortable at first, but it gets better. And talk to your therapist about it. Come up with some resources, some tools, some uh, safe words kind of for diving into it um, so that you can be pulled out so you know that it's not just this endless pit that you don't know how far you're going to have to go into it or how, how far past your wall you're going to have to, you know, go. Um, but yeah, it gets better. It gets easier. Um, hopefully those tips help. But yeah, know that you're not alone. So many people struggle with that. Therapy's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. Um, and no one likes to feel vulnerable. It, it can feel, uh, the thing, the word vulnerable in and of itself is like exactly why it's so hard, right? It's like we feel open to potential hurt. We feel soft. We feel raw. We've, we're opening ourselves up to we don't know what, right? And that's uncomfortable. Um but I promise you nothing terrible is going to happen, especially in therapy. It's a very safe place to practice vulnerability. So yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And don't worry, question number nine will go at the top for next week. Do not worry. Um, I'll move it over there. But I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you for sending in your questions. Um, if Again, if you want to send in a question, wait for me to ask for them. I will put it under the community tab on this channel. If you're watching on YouTube on the Opinions That Don't Matter channel. Um And usually I do it like the day of or the day before, and then I pull your questions. So make sure your notifications are turned on. Um, I promise not to like berate you with a shit ton of posts in there. Um, But yeah, thanks for sending your questions. I hope this was helpful. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye. About your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.